0: Okay, uh, it's episode 9 of Flying Podcast. I recorded the content for this podcast on Saturday 29th of November down at the NEC, at the Sport and Leisure Aviation Show, or Splash as it's known. Uh, The show seemed pretty busy to me, despite the lousy weather on the day, including thick fog over much of the country. It was interesting to note that the stands featuring the gyrocopters seemed to be the busiest, uh, but P&M Aviation had a constant flow of people. Uh, interested in their flex wing and 3-axis microlights. Uh, I'll try and track someone down to uh, give me uh, the lowdown on the world of gyrocopters for a future podcast. Uh, they seem to be becoming more popular, uh, and the ones I saw at Splash certainly looked uh, pretty slick. Uh, I can see why many people are being won over by their futuristic looks. Several exhibitors were generous, uh, generous enough to give me a few minutes of the time, uh, these included Unique Industries, uh, they're developing uh, electric powered aircraft, uh, the Light Aircraft Association, and Dave Unwin from Today's Pilot magazine. Uh, the hall was pretty busy, um, but I think the interviews came out okay. Have a listen. Now let's get going with Clive Coote, who's the MD of Unique International. Hi, Clive. Uh, so, what is Unique about
1: Unique? Unique's about uh, electric aviation. Uh, it was a company developed purely to expand electric aviation. Tien, my partner and I, um, have always been involved in uh, electric products and we love aviation and so we developed a company to, to progress that.
0: Okay, at uh, the moment you have uh, an EPAC, which is an electric motor for a paramotor, is that correct?
1: Uh, EPAC is a complete uh, electric power paramotor power system. Um, with motor, prop, cage, batteries, charger. So it's an pack itself is a system as such.
0: Okay, it's so a straight replacement for your usual petrol
1: engine that you usually see flying around? Absolutely, it is a, a standard paramotor with an electric unit on it, um, using one large battery pack. Um, and uh, you take that battery pack out, put it into a charger, recharge, put it back in and fly again.
0: Okay, and the technology involved in these uh, batteries are? The battery technology is lithium
1: polymer. Uh, lithium polymer has the highest battery, say highest commercial available battery density in the market today, which is about 170 watts per kilo, um, and uh, we use those batteries. And how long has this product
0: been on the market now?
1: Well, it's not on the market yet. Um, it's been on development for about two years, and we've been flying e packs now for nearly 18 months. Uh, we're constantly upgrading and changing the specifications. Uh, it's, uh, it's a bit like a river, it just keeps flowing and yeah. we keep changing things. Um, and hopefully now we'll be actually on the market sometime in February.
0: And uh, alongside the EPAC, you're also developing uh, a fully-fledged, uh, an ultralight, is it? It's a sub-115-kilo class aircraft. Uh, and in fact,
1: the EP200, the sort of code name we use for it at the moment, was started before EPAC. Actually, EPAC came from that because um, we wanted something that possibly had a bit more instant commercial application. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been flying the EP200 now, again, for over a year. Uh, it's flown constantly. Uh, the difficulties we have, though, we have to fly by radio control at the moment. So hopefully first manned flights will be in March next year.
0: OK, and just describe what the aircraft looks like. It's, it's a, a three-axis, looks like a little microlight, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a three-axis, uh, single-seat microlight, uh, high-wing. Uh, we've got twin motors on it. Um, uh, we look for sort of safety in, in, in numbers, so to speak. Um, uh, we're at the moment flying it uh, around the 200, just over 200 kilo mark, ballasted to 95 kilos for a 195 kilo person. Um, and it flies absolutely fantastically,
0: it really does. I've seen the, vi- the video and I can vouch for that. <laughs> uh, and where are you in the development of that one? Um, we are just starting doing molds uh, for
1: tailplane and fin. Um, and um final designs are just completed now um and so the molding process will start through december and then we hope to have as i say the first prototype ready for flying sometime around march
0: okay um what sort of legislation does this fall under is it uh
1: well it's the it's it's the 115 kilo you know micro light micro light class so uh legislation luckily is fairly light and what sort of license do you need to fly one of these? Um, basically, a micro light license. Um, uh, uh, so, you know, that's it, really.
0: Okay, and in terms of the, the batteries for both the EPAC and the EP200, what's the sort of charging time and how long a flight can you expect to, to have from one of these when they're fully charged?
1: What we to do is we, we try to do is to get a pack that will work for both units so that we've got something that's interchangeable with the charging systems. Um, the EPAC main pack is, takes about... Uh, an hour and a half to recharge on the, on the high-power charger. But then with lithium polymer cells, you have to cycle them to make sure, sorry, balance them, I should say not cycle them, but balance them, so all the cells are the same. Um, and we have a balancing charger, and you need to do that about once every 10 cycles, the charges is the battery, and that takes about three and a half hours.
0: And the, the flying
1: time, once you're fully charged? Fully charged, or, for the sandy Pack, you're getting about 30 minutes flying. Um, for your hour and a half recharge, we can add another pack to the pack to give you 50, 50 to 60 minutes flying Okay. and do we think this is the, uh, the future of aviation? Uh, Tian and I both definitely think it's the future of aviation, unquestionably um, and what has been very refreshing for us is that everybody we've met at the shows just says it's the future, everybody sees exactly what we see
0: mm-hmm. uh, it certainly makes sense doesn't it, especially with the avgas prices etc
1: uh, environmentally you have gas prices you know it's um, it's quieter it's more environmentally friendly it's more cost-effective for charging um, you don't need the maintenance on it which is something that really appeals to lots of people no tinkering of carburettors um, lots and lots of girls the and said they'll fly now because it's it's electric you know and everybody understands electric yeah. so you know we really believe it is the future
0: and the control really is it's on and off with a switch on the, the hand grip just literally turn it on. Uh, you've
1: got all the data feedback on the hand grip. Squeeze the throttle and, and away you go.
0: Does really sound like the future. Um, how is the downturn affecting you? Is th-
1: um, we've been very surprised. I mean, I don't think anybody knows yet how the downturn will affect us. From our perspective, we're two entrepreneurs who want to produce things. We're going to do it anyway. It doesn't matter about the downturn. <laughs> yep. So we're just going to keep going. And you know, if people want to buy the product, that'll be great. If not, we'll have great fun flying it anyway. <laughs> And uh, where is the technology built? The technology is built in Shanghai, uh, my partner's factory in Shanghai. It's a phenomenal fa- facility he has there. with some very, very talented young engineers and superb manufacturing uh, base, um, so very high quality. Um, and uh, products will be shipped in from there.
0: And uh, how could someone find out more detail about you? What's your uh, website?
1: Uh, please go to our website, you know, www.unique.com, um, or contact us at our sales office. Uh, all the details are on the website there. And unique is yun dot
0: com? Correct, yun OK, well, thank you very much, Clive. That's brilliant. Thank you indeed. Uh, I'm sure many of us uh, have heard of the LAA, or the Light Aircraft Association, um, but I'm sure most of us don't really realise exactly uh, what it is that they do. Uh, the LAA used to be the PFA, uh, and uh, I thought they were mainly involved in overseeing the building and certification of home-built aircraft. Well, Mike Barnard uh, gave me a rundown of some of the other very important areas of light aviation that the LAA get involved with. Hi, I'm with uh, Mike Barnard of the LAA. Um, Hello, Mike. Uh, Hello there. Uh, I wonder if you could give us a a brief introduction of what the LAA do in the UK? Yeah, of course
2: I can. The LAA stands for the Light Aircraft Association. Um, We changed our name this time last year from the Popular Flying Association, which uh, many people knew about in the light aviation world. A lot of people saw the PFA as really an association that was there to help the home builder. And um, it did that really, really well, and it did that for many, many years. In fact, the LAA celebrated its 60th anniversary uh, this year, so we are the longest running Light Aircraft Association in the UK, um, if not in Europe. But you asked me the question, what does the LAA do? Well, the LAA does a number of things. The LAA, first and foremost, is there to represent the needs of folk who want to build their own aircraft and get themselves into the air with something they've actually built themselves, which is an absolutely remarkable feat for those that do it. And the LAA is um, it's approved and endorsed by the Civil Aviation Authority to actually oversee the assessment of light aircraft for preliminary construction, for the assessment of a builder to look at his capability of building an aircraft, to oversee that builder as he builds the aircraft and at the end of the day to actually approve the aircraft to be fit for flight in the UK and then to recommend to the CAA the issuance of what we call a permit to fly, so the guy is then legally able to fly the aircraft in UK airspace. Once he's done that we're responsible also for working with a nationwide team of inspectors who've been helping throughout the build process to enable the guy to keep his aircraft airworthy so once a year um, the inspector will come and look at the aircraft and working with the owner will help him keep it in tip top -top condition so it stays airworthy through the life of the um, aircraft now that's only part of what we do and that was a lot of what the PFA used to do but in addition to that we have a nationwide um, network of what we call social struts these are essentially groups of like-minded aviation enthusiasts who meet on a regular basis and it's an enormously powerful resource for folk who want to get into light aviation because light aviation at the end of the day is actually regarded as a bit of a rich man's toy for lots of people well actually it's not the vast majority of people who fly and own their own light aircraft do it very cheaply and very cost effectively and that's what the strut system is all about it actually helps people to learn new friends meet buddies and to actually help each other along but we do a lot more than that we're more than just building aircraft and we're more than just a social site in the last few years the advent of the european scene has brought enormous pressures on what was a fairly laissez-faire environment these days we have to fight off the requirements of brussels which we're doing fairly well and the European Aviation Safety Agency that's recently been introduced is there to totally take a look at all of the European aviation environments and to harmonize that into one super European environment and we are at the head, we're at the head of the table in setting out what the EASA legal requirements for light aviation in Europe are going to be. Well that would be good if that was all we did but actually within the UK we have a huge amount of work going on to try to keep aviation affordable. An example would be the Treasury have come up with some wonderfully great wheezes to milk aviators of money. How would you like to have your fuel tax doubled without being asked? Well, we've been fighting that and we've won that. How would you like us to require you to fit all manner of avionics to your aircraft? We're fighting that. How would you like it if we introduced a charge For anybody who owns an an aeronautical radio frequency, Um, we're fighting that. Essentially, we're fighting on a huge number of fronts to keep aviation affordable. As another example, very recently, um, South Wales have decided that all of their airspace, or virtually all of it, needs to be blocked off to enable the development of UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles. And guess what? We're in there fighting that off. So essentially, what the LAA is there for, it's not only to help people build and fly their own aircraft, it's not only to provide a great social scene, it's also to protect the aviation environment for people who wish to fly. And that is people who are not just building their own aircraft, but also people who belong to flying clubs. People for whom flying is going down to a flying club and hiring a Cessna. Well, we're helping those folk indirectly. Oh, and I also forgot to mention the fact that we have an absolutely drop dead gorgeous monthly colour magazine which comes free to every member. Um, our membership fee is around about £50 a year. Put into context, that's around £4 a month. The average person who is flying a light aircraft through a flying club would be spending probably upwards these days of £120 an hour. That's £2 a minute to fly a certified aircraft. And we believe that we represent incredibly great value, not just financially, but also morally. We say to people, how on earth can you have a passion for light aviation if you can't be asked to join an association that's actually rooting for you? And essentially, that's what the LAA is. The Light Aircraft Association is there for people who have a passion for light aviation. We have a membership of approximately 8,000 at the moment, and it's going up. Are we happy with 8,000? No, we're not. We'd like to see 20,000. We want to be the premier light aviation association in this country, and we're doing everything we can to do it. Um, Do we have enough volunteers helping us? No, we don't. I'm a volunteer. I'm unpaid, as are the rest of the entire exec committee. And so the message is very simple. If you love aviation, come and check us
0: out. Come and join us. We're a great steal. I didn't realise the uh, LAA did quite so much, uh, doing all those things for general aviation. It's uh, news to me. I mean, I knew what the PFA did, but not LAA in all those regards. Uh, In terms of what the Europeans have in mind for us, I mean, I've heard as a a PPLA pilot that the IMC might disappear. Uh, Speaking to some of your colleagues, they were saying that we have the NPPL over here and the Europeans are looking at possibly adopting a a European-wide sport pilot licence. Uh, do you have any sort of information on how things are going in that, in that regard? Uh, yes, we do. The, um,
2: the, the EASA, um, EASA has issued a whole raft of um, notice of proposed rulemakings and the objective of every representative body is to assess those um, but to be at the table where the details are going to be thrashed out. It's a fact that every European country has its own view on pilot licensing, um, flight crew training airworthiness and what europe wants to do and this is not just for light aviation it's for all aviation is they want to harmonize what aviation is about aviation has traditionally been geared around the needs of the commercial aviation um interests and military interests but it's and it's had a one cap fits all approach to that um to that process but the fact is that light aviation does not need or require anywhere near the, the overburdening diligence that's required to fly fair paying passengers around the world and so what he asked is doing, it's setting out a challenge it's saying help us come to the table and work out a better approach to flight crew licensing help us work out a better approach to what, how, and to what and how we define a light aircraft and so we're looking at a light aircraft pilot's license within Europe. We're looking at um, different categories of aircraft themselves which will be um, accessible and European-wide uh, certified that can be built or purchased and flown around Europe. These are not commercial aircraft. They're aircraft that the average European citizen can afford to buy and operate. You asked the question about, um, about um, night flying, IMC flying, the IMC rating is something that we treasure in the UK. We have our own particular maritime climate, which is, which is quite different from the rest of the European climate. And the fact is that the IMC rating produces a remarkably safe environment for folk who don't need to use airways, but do need to fly their aircraft under instrument conditions in certain um, times. And um, Europe does not have one of those at the moment, But equally, what Europe has universally is a very expensive and very unattainable instrument rating. And so part of what EASA is doing, and we're working with them um, hand in glove to do this, is to say, how can we work out a better, lightweight instrument rating that is accessible to people who just need to use it in benign IFR, IMC circumstances? These are not people who are habitually flying in known icing, Flying approaches down to 100 feet. These are ordinary people who just have to have the ability to fly through a layer of stratus, and and that's really that. This this is really the front end of what LIA is about. It's how can we make a how can we make aircraft ownership and operation affordable, accessible, etc. for the long term. EASA represents at the moment a golden opportunity, and that won't come around again probably for decades so if we screw up we get it wrong if we're if we're fighting between ourselves um we're going to miss the big picture laa can see the big picture we have representation in all areas of the european scene and um and we are working our socks off to make it um the environment that we all want to cherish because at the end of the day light aviation as an industry is worth over £2 billion a year to the UK economy. And not a lot of people know that, said Michael Caine, but seriously, not a lot of people know that we are not a tin pot uh, business. We, you know, the aircraft that we build, the services that we, that we purchase and provide, £2 billion to the UK economy. Get that wrong, and we'll have a substantial effect on the economy. So
0: the economy needs us, and we need the economy. Excellent. If anybody needs any more information about the LAA, how do they uh, they find you? Website? The website? LAA. LAA.uk.com. LAA.uk.com. That's brilliant.
2: Um, The website's there. It tells everyone what we do. You can join up online. We'd love to have you. And as I said earlier, it represents great value for anybody who has a passion for aviation. If you want to join us, come on in. The water's warm and you'd be really, really
0: welcome. And for someone who's considering a home build, it's the place to start looking for the aircraft that are licensed or that have permission to be able to be uh, home built in this country?
2: For anybody who's thinking about building their own aircraft, the answer would be do it. Don't sit around, Don't don't plan for the future, do it. Is it cheap? No, it's not. Will it keep you poor? Yes, it will. But as somebody who's actually built their own aircraft, I would say... The feeling of actually building your aircraft and taking off for the first time an aircraft that you built yourself is indescribable. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful feeling. LAA is the, it's the natural first stop shop. Come along, join us and you have access to an enormous wealth of, of talent, of enthusiasm, of professionality. People who will work with you to decide which aircraft is right for you. Um, you'll be introduced to an inspector who will work with you to help you build the aircraft. In short, we are the one-stop shop for light aviation, so if you, if you have a passion for light a- aviation, the answer is come and join us.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Mike. You're welcome. Nice to meet you. That was Mike Barnard from the LAA. I never knew they were so active in m- promoting general aviation here in the UK. Uh, I'm hoping to meet up with someone else from the LAA, John Cook, in the not-too-distant future, to talk about the LAA's role in flight training a quite interesting subject in its own right. Next on my list of people I wanted to speak to was Dave Unwin from today's pilot magazine. Uh, I wanted a quick overview of the exhibition and the aviation market in general. Let's hear what Dave had to say. Right with uh, Dave Unwin from today's pilot. Hi Dave. Hey Steve, nice to meet you. Uh, A couple of questions then about uh, we're here at Splash at the NEC in Birmingham. Uh, Any particular highlights of the show you've seen so far?
3: Well, I've not actually seen it yet, but you just tipped me off about this electric-powered aeroplane, which, as soon as we've done this interview, will be where I'm headed. Uh, I'm a big believer in electric-powered machines, particularly for fun aircraft, because by definition, they're very, very clean. Uh, I've been looking at some regenerating electric-powered aeroplanes in the States quite recently, and for sport aviation, they represent a very, very exciting possibility. Right now, it's just a possibility because the energy density of batteries still aren't quite adequate to make a machine where you and I would be comfortable to go on an out-and-return flight of, say, two to three hours. But if the energy density problem can be surmounted, then electric aeroplanes do represent a viable future for sport sport aeroplanes, certainly. How does this regenerative system work? Basically, it's very much uh, like uh, a dynamo, or the regenerative technology applied to an electric train. Um, you have a battery, a control unit, and a controllable pitch propeller. Uh, for takeoff or for cruising flight, the battery drives an electric motor which turns the propeller, and then when you're in an area of reliable lift, or you just have surplus energy, i.e., you're very high, and you want to glide down to land. You turn the, the controller to regenerate the back. The propeller then becomes a windmill, which supplies energy back to the propeller, uh, and it's working. There are people in the States flying prototypes. It's a very exciting concept, but it would only be initially for a toy, for a sport plane.
0: Anything else caught your eye here? Is there any uh, anything happening on the sort of avionics front you've
3: seen? Certainly, uh, that's the last few years. You're more likely to see. Um, advances in avionics I mean a lot of these airframes and engines are the same airframes and engines that I've seen since I've been running today's pilot magazine but every year you will see big jumps in avionics whereby radios are smaller and cheaper Uh, certainly some of the electronic um, flight information systems they're as sophisticated as something that you would have seen in an airliner five years ago now people are putting them in uh, full 50 kilo microlites. So certainly, um, I I guess it's inevitable it's an offshoot of the computer industry. These things are just sort of computers, I guess.
0: I fly a PPLA sort of aircraft, a PA-28, and it sort of occurred to me with this downturn in the economy, we're probably looking at people downshifting to microlights, moving to NPPLA. Is is that something you've seen as, you know, you're
3: obviously an industry insider? Uh, I think there's going to be people looking at um, more efficient flying, Steve. You're exactly right. And certainly a lot of the modern um, U- uh, ULA's, microlites, the 450-kilo machines in the UK are very, very capable machines. But a lot of them, unfortunately, are hamstrung by the 450-kilo limit in that uh, two guys like us uh, just won't be able to carry a huge amount of fuel and remain within the 450-kilo limit. I personally am a really big fan of of the FAA's Sport Pilot Licence and the light sport aircraft category which is as you know 600 kilograms uh, 120 knot cruise fixed pitch because they're more accessible numbers and also the FAA have introduced something called Sport Pilot Mechanic which means having successfully undertaken and passed the Sport Pilot Mechanic course you can do all the maintenance on a machine that you own and is registered to you personally i think that that's a really important way of um lowering the cost for sport aviators
0: is that like to come in over here with the sort of you know he looking at the
3: regulations now do you think anything like that is likely to come come about i'd like to think that it would but unfortunately with the with i've been tracking it and just the mpa Uh, that they released looking at the Leisure Pilot Licence is so much more complex and convoluted than the FARs that introduced Sport Pilot. The FARs that introduced Sport Pilot, I think the document was 120 pages and uh, NPA, I think it's 17C, I believe is over 800. It's, It's just, it's European. It's a lot more people getting involved, unfortunately for us. Okay, that's brilliant. Uh, Thank you very much, Dave. My pleasure, Steve. Nice talking to you.
0: Dave Unwin of today's pilot there. He he was in great demand today, so I'm very grateful for the few moments he could spare for the interview. Well, it was a very interesting show and well worth a visit if you're into the lighter end of light aviation. That's it for Episode 9. I hope you enjoyed it. As usual, if you have any comments, please drop me a line. The email address, as ever, is steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. That's steve at flyingpodcast, all one word, .co.uk. Look forward to speaking to you again soon.